0: This is Science Drives and Wellness Steers, season two. I'm your host, Allie. When I was in school, the most unhelpful and frequent thing I was told was she'd do so great if she just focused. The thing I never heard was how to focus. So I've dedicated my career to helping parents and educators do better. Moving from just pay attention to let me teach you how to pay attention. Let me teach you how to harness the superpowers of your brain. I've been the clinical director and therapist for Magnificent Minds for over a decade and have been supporting teachers, parents, and therapists of neurodivergent kiddos for even longer. Professionally, I'm admittedly an eclectic mix with formal training in counseling psychology and behavioral sciences. I don't fit neatly into a box, which I guess is something I have in common with the spectacularly unique kiddos I support. I combine my love of science with my connection to the pursuit of wellness and find myself at the midpoint of behavioral science and mental health, looking through the lens of neurodiversity. I'm a hippie at heart, avoiding pseudoscience, gluten, and ableism. I'm a political advocate and a passionate writer who is not afraid to have hard conversations. I'm a sometimes-all-over-the-place, not-always-put-together mom-of-three, entrepreneur, and a wife who was voted most likely to speak out of turn in just about every year of elementary school, which surprises no one who knows me. You can look up my business at MagnificentMinds.ca or do a full social media stalking on Instagram at MagMinds, on TikTok at TherapyMagMinds, on my blog, of course, in my podcast, or even sign up to receive monthly updates via my newsletter. But don't worry, spam isn't my jam. Thanks for taking a bit of time and joining my community. I look forward to going on this journey with you. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but did you know that you can grab resources I've created for supporting development, behavior, and mental health, and even completely downloadable training programs by heading to my website? Head to MagnificentMinds.ca and click Parent Corner. There you can check out downloadable resources and even register for virtual masterclasses like Parenting and Autism or Parenting and ADHD. All right, now that I'm certain you're not missing out on anything, let's hop back into this episode. Hello, today we're talking about mindfulness and we're talking about mindfulness through the lens of parenting and raising neurodivergent kids. So just in a few minutes, we are going to hear from Andrea. Andrea is a behavior analyst at Magnificent Minds, so she works on my team with me and she is also a certified yoga instructor with training and expertise in Teaching yoga and mindfulness to neurodivergent kids, specifically kids with ADHD and autism. So she is, you know, another person who finds herself in between this super behavior analytic role and this mindfulness, self regulation, mental health role. So of course, she is a perfect person to come and talk to you guys about how you can utilize aspects of mindfulness to be the best parent you can be and also to connect with your kids at any age and stage of development. So before we dive into that, I am going to give you four strategies that you can use to pursue mindfulness with your kids right now with very little prep. Here we go. Number one, visualization. So I love visualizations because they are essentially a form of meditation and, you know, they require you to really quiet your mind and focus just on one activity, which can be really hard for many of us, including our kids who, you know, usually have lots of things on the go or maybe kids who, you know, identify with, you know, having lots of tabs open on their computer, you know. Cognitively speaking, lots of things going on, lots of ideas firing all the time. So visualization can be super good for quieting those busy thoughts and also super good for promoting good sleep because if you do a visualization activity before bedtime, it allows you to just sort of quiet the mind in a way that really allows you to drift into sleep super peacefully and nicely. So two visualization activities that I love. One is called My Perfect Day, where you essentially coach your kiddo through visualizing their perfect day from the moment that they wake up until the moment that they go to bed. Okay, so this can be like, you know, their birthday, this can be a vacation day, whatever would be a perfect day for them. And you essentially encourage them to watch the movie of that day in their minds, and you can help them by narrating through it. What is it like when you wake up? What do you see? What do you smell? All that good stuff. Another visualization you can do is have your kiddos visualize. So visualize meaning, you know, see in their mind or imagine, if that word feels a bit better, imagine you doing something you can't wait to do, whether that is going to a particular event, seeing a a certain person or, you know, getting something that you're really excited about getting. And again, when you're doing this, you're visualizing, you're imagining what it would be like to do it. And you're actually seeing yourself go through the motions. So it's kind of like seeing a movie in your mind and you are the main character and you are the one that is going through the actions. Okay. Moving on to my second strategy, sensory grounding. So I love sensory grounding because a lot of neurodivergent kids are very in tune with their senses and they notice things in the environment that some of us neurotypical folks don't notice. So two ways that you can do sensory grounding that I like in particular for kids. The first one is an ABC grounding activity. So again, it requires you to really attend to the environment and quiet your mind so that you're not worried, so that you're not thinking about all the things you have to do or you know you don't have so many ideas firing at one time. You're really bringing it in and focusing just on one thing. So an ABC grounding, is where you would, you know, sit with your kiddo in the room. You can sit crisscross, applesauce, or you can sit any way that you're comfortable. And you would take turns going around the room. And you can do, you know, you can each take a turn and alternate, or you can just have your kiddo do it and coach them through it, and then they don't have to wait for you to take your turn. And the way that it works is you essentially go through the alphabet and you find something in the environment that you can see or touch or smell or taste or feel. That represents each letter of the alphabet. So I might say A, you know, something that I see that starts with an A that's around me. I see an apple. B, I see a book. C, you know, I see Cheetos or whatever it is that's around you. And what you're trying to do again is really just quiet your mind and focus on just one thing. Another way you can pursue sensory grounding is by doing uh, is by doing sense, sort of, sorry, I'm stumbling a little bit here because the way that I've written this down doesn't make sense. Um, so I'm going to pivot. So you can do sensory grounding A to Z. So instead of going around and, and suggesting something that's in your environment that you see and labeling it, or something that you smell and labeling it, you can do the same thing, but you can just visualize it in your mind. So you can actually close your eyes, especially if you are susceptible to overwhelm sensory overwhelm you close your eyes and you picture something in your mind that represents each letter of the alphabet and you do this um, you know on alternation back and forth or just individually you know as your kiddo can do it you coach them so you might say close your eyes picture something that starts with letter a what do you see and then they can describe it to you picture something that starts with letter b what do you see they can describe it to you and so on and so on. And again, the idea for sensory grounding is that you're utilizing your senses. And what I really like about the second option when you're closing your mind is that you're really tuning in just to one set. So you're really just focusing on seeing, but you're not seeing what's actually in front of you. You're seeing what's in your mind. And I think that's really cool for our kids to be able to recognize that that's one way that they can engage in, you know, mindfulness or meditation by really closing their eyes and seeing something that they choose to see. And while doing that, they're blocking out anything that may be overwhelming or, you know, causing them anxiety. All right. Number three, cozy corner. This is one of my favorites. So if you don't already, I encourage you to create a cozy corner in your house. And it doesn't matter if you've got tons of space or hardly any space. A cozy corner is just as it sounds, a little area. It can be, you know, behind a chair in a room, it can be a little fort that you make under a desk, under a dining room table, it can be, you know, a corner with a few pillows, it can be anything that suits your kiddo, and the idea is that it is a calm and, you know, safe space for them to regulate. It is not somewhere to be sent as punishment, it is not somewhere, you know, that that they're going to be told they have to go, it's going to be totally optional, and in that cozy corner, the best thing you can do is provide your kiddo quiet and calming or regulating activities. So books, music, if that's regulating and calming for your kiddo, um, you know, coloring, that kind of thing. All those things are super, super, super well-suited to a cozy corner. If you've got a kiddo who's super regulated by, you know, visual stimulation, puzzles will be awesome. You know, any of those sensory toys that you flip upside down and, you know, the the liquid inside kind of flows down, those all are super well-suited to a cozy corner. If you have a kid who's super tactile, this would be a great place for, you know, a sand bucket or, um, you know, beans or noodles or anything that would be super sensory and tactile for them. Essentially, you're looking to provide a place that is calm and that is going to allow them an opportunity to decompress if they need to or regulate if their emotions are feeling a little bit overwhelming. The last thing that I think is fantastic for kids when it comes to pursuing mindfulness is breathing and breath work. And you would be amazed at how many kids don't know how to take a really good belly breath. And I think not only do kids often not know how to take a really good belly breath, but a lot of adults don't know how to take a really good belly breath either. So the more we practice it, the better at it that we get, the less we find ourselves breathing from our chest or you know, taking a deep breath only in response to extreme overwhelm. Instead of that, we wanna practice taking a really deep belly breath proactively throughout the day, multiple times a day in order to really just regulate and just feel that sensation and regain a bit of control over our breathing so that we're not going on autopilot and taking sort of shallow breaths that don't serve us. So a couple ways that you can work on breathing or breath work with your kiddos. So the first thing is that you want them to really know how to properly breathe. So we like to use the analogy, well, it's not really an analogy, the sort of formula that you smell and blow. So first you smell and that's when you breathe in through your nose and then you blow and that's when you sort of, you know, let it all out from what's inside your tummy. You can modify that in a million different ways, Um, you know, you can ask them to smell the piece of pizza and then blow on it to cool it down. Um, You know, you can ask them to smell the chocolate cake and then blow out the candle. Um, There are tons of ways that you can adapt it to make it fun and creative for your kiddos. You can ask them you know, how they like to say it, what do they like, what's their favorite food. Oh, okay, if your favorite food is popcorn, then you can smell the popcorn and then blow off the salt pieces or whatever. Any way that you want to adapt it that resonates with them is perfect. If they're engaged and excited by it, they're more likely to do it. So the other thing that i think is super important when it comes to breathing is once we know that they know how to sort of smell and blow or breathe properly we want to make sure that they're not just taking a single deep breath and calling it a day so i like to use my hand as you know a visual cue and there's a couple different ways you can do that so first you can hold up your hand and you can blow and imagine that each of your fingers is a candle that you're going to blow out so you know you might say. You know, smell the birthday cake and then blow out the candle. And then you blow, you know, your pinky. And once you blow on your pinky, you put it down. And then you're going to have them do it five times because, of course, you have five fingers. So you're going to teach them that you want to take these, you know, really deep breaths in sort of repetition and not necessarily too, too many, but five is a really good number. So you can do that where you hold it up and then you blow on each of your fingers like it's a candle putting it down to indicate that you have on it blown on it and that you're going to move forward. Um, the other thing you can do is use your hand in another way where you trace along the outer sort of outer outline of your palm and you know you go you trace up your thumb and you t- you know breathe in and you trace down your thumb and you breathe out and then you trace up your next finger, uh pointer finger and then down your pointer finger and so on so that you're tracing your entire hand and every time you are, you know, going up, you are breathing in with your nose, and every time you are coming back down the other side of your finger, you are breathing out. And this just becomes a cue for your kiddo. And it's also a super good way to signal, you know, to your kiddos how to remember that pattern of, you know, breathing in and then breathing out in succession and not taking strictly shallow breaths that are only including, you know, breathing in through your nose and out through your nose. Because as we know, that's not, that's not how you want to breathe in order to just get maximum benefit and maximum feel goodness. So with all of that said, I am going to hop right into the call with Andrea and I hope you enjoy. Hello. Hi. Hey, Andrea. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you. Um, First thing I want you to do is tell all the folks who you are and do a little, uh, you know, a little humble brag on some of your accomplishments over the last little bit. You know, beef up your street cred. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Um, So I'm Andrea. Um, I actually work
1: for Ally. I'm one of her senior therapists and recent behavior analyst. So I just wrote my exam a couple months ago, and um, definitely excited about that. I am also a yoga instructor. So very weird, <laughs> yoga instructor BCBA. Totally different worlds, but they really work together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I also did some speech pathology back in the day, so that was my original um, path, and my passion now is kind of combining speech pathology, behavior analysis, and yoga.
0: Yes, which is amazing, and I think why you wanted to hop on to today's episode, which is mindfulness. Absolutely. And specifically mindfulness for kiddos. So. Um what I will say about Andrea that she did not say is that she is I said she's a bit of a unicorn, um, which I stand behind because she is the kind of behavior person that really understands sort of the internal internal private events in a way that a lot of other behavior people, oftentimes behavior analysts don't really get. So that's why her and I. Jive on that level. And on the clinical level, her and I jive because she's great with systematic, you know, implementation of technical procedures as we do in ABA, but she also understands the communication piece and the mental health piece and obviously the yoga and movement and self regulation piece, which is lacking, in my opinion, in a lot of practices. So, that's why she's chatting with us today. And um, Andrea, why don't you just start shooting off some ideas about mindfulness and kids and what you want everyone to know? Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to talk about mindfulness
1: is a lot of people think mindfulness is meditation, sitting there with your legs crossed, closing your eyes, doing nothing. And I feel like a lot of parents are like, uh-uh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> and a lot of kids would just never be able to do that. Right. Or like, I can't sit still for that. That's what I hear a lot. Yeah, exactly. But mindfulness isn't just that it's paying attention to something on purpose. So you can literally do this at any point of your day. Of course, it's always easier to start in a controlled setting. So yeah, starting maybe somewhere that is quiet, there aren't many distractions and maybe it's just you and then starting to expand that out into the most chaotic point of your day. (laughs) But (laughs) um, yeah, but mindfulness is something that we can access everywhere. It's yeah, really just paying attention on purpose. So I have this... um, little acronym for remembering different ways that we can be things that we can be aware of. Love um, it. It's called BESTS. <laughs> so, Bests yeah, with an s. So, yeah, exactly. So B E S T S. So, uh breath, emotions, sound, thoughts and sensation. So when you're thinking about something to pay attention to, you can pay attention to your breath, the inhale, the exhale, where you notice it the most, if it's more in your lungs, in your diaphragm, um, how that feels. The emotions piece is really just tacting or labeling your emotions. I am feeling happy. I am feeling sad. And that's something that I think we do a lot with our kids at M.M., Um, Mm -hmm. and something that I've seen you talk quite a bit about on social media too. So doing that for yourself
0: as well. uh, How about grownups though? Grownups kind of suck at that sometimes. Yeah. And right. They like, don't really realize that they're feeling angry. They label it as sadness or the other way around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's something that we can like start to become
1: more aware of. And I think that the more we practice tacting our own, I'm just going to turn that off. Sorry about that. Um, so sound. Um, if you are in the middle of a chaotic moment, you might try and look at or listen to sounds or even in a quiet moment, can I hear birds? Can I hear the sound of the furnace in my house? Um, and just becoming fully aware of that in the moment, um, just to take your mind off of everything else happening. And that's kind of the point of paying attention on purpose is to kind of stop, the obsessive thoughts that just never turn off give your mind a little bit of a break and give your nervous system a little bit of a break um, so that you can come back to that like more calm restorative place in your body
0: I love that and I also think that psychologically speaking like we have this tendency to go on autopilot and I think that's there's a, a use for that an adaptive use for that we couldn't possibly like cross the street if we attended to every single variable or, you know, sound, sight, everything around us, it wouldn't be safe, we couldn't focus. So I think that's something that we do adapt to be adaptive and to say cross the street safely or cook safely without attending to all those like little nuances around us. But there's definitely value in focusing your attention on all of those things and not going on autopilot. Um, Just in terms of like that, that connection to where you are in the moment. Mm -hmm. Love that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And then with that more so Again, paying attention on purpose, breath, emotions, sounds, thoughts, and sensation. So that's kind of like the starting point, the step one of doing noticing in a controlled setting. Um, The next piece would be perception. So we can notice that we're feeling all these things or notice kind of what's happening around us. um, And we can start to maybe label it as pleasant or unpleasant, but also not attaching to it. So ACT um, or Acceptance and Commitment Therapy has this little script that they use of, I'm having a thought that, um, or I am experiencing that this moment feels pleasant and I like it, or I am having an experience that I don't like this moment. It is unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, But also by doing that, you are diffusing the situation, you are detaching yourself from it. And yeah, and it becomes a little bit lighter.
0: Yeah, totally. It's separate from you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Love that. So good. What else you got? (laughs) All right. (laughs)
1: Um, So yeah, so that was kind of step one. And then step two is um, how can you access this now in a busier setting? So maybe you'll want to um, do this on your own or with someone else, but a calm activity. um, So when you're with your kids, you can color together and talk about like the colors that you're using, the shapes that you might be drawing as you're coloring, how it feels to hold the crayon. What does the crayon feel like between your hands? What does it feel like as you're rubbing it on the paper? Um, maybe reading It's also, like, a very engaging uh, activity when you're playing, Um, maybe pushing into dough. Like, how does that feel when you're pushing into the dough? What does it look like? Maybe bring the dough closer to your face. Um, What does the shape look like? Do you see any lines? Do you – can you smell it? Um, And really bringing all of the different senses into that activity, and that's a great way for kids or somebody who has a very busy mind to access mindfulness by bringing in all of their senses into that one
0: moment i love that because i think a lot of the time people think that mindfulness has to be passive Mm -hmm. and they're like oh like i i can't do that and i know a lot of neurodivergent folks like people with adhd are like i can't sit still or i can't quiet my mind and i think that's a misconception you don't need to be passive you can be actively involved in something but still pursuing mindfulness I love that with like the clay or like something that you're actually, you're doing. You're not just like, mindfulness isn't the absence of doing. Right. Love that. Yeah.
1: And then step three, moving into chaos. <laughs> so mm-hmm. rec- come to my yeah. house for that. I'm well, <laughs> mm on a regular day <laughs> or just come yeah. to work. Yeah, yeah. Come to a school, any school yeah. chaos. Um, so recognizing those sensations, realizing your perception, and tacting it um, and then using that act mindful diffusion script. So in a moment where you're feeling like maybe super anxious, overwhelmed, you can recognize that you're feeling anxious. So in this moment, I feel overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. My kid is freaking out and I feel like a bad parent. Maybe those are the thoughts that are coming up. So you realize like those are all the things that you're saying to yourself and you might label that as this is unpleasant. This this is not Mm -hmm. fun (laughs) Um, and maybe that'll like it just made us laugh. So you're like yeah okay (laughs) Um, and yeah and then so I am having a feeling that this is unpleasant but I will get through this like I have before and I know what to do. I have the tools and just kind of repeating that to yourself it's, it might diffuse in a moment, and then you're going to feel all of that heat rise again. And when that happens, you just notice it. And then it'll start to go away as you start to positive self-talk yourself through that moment, and then you feel the heat rise again. And it's a constant loop. So all of these strategies are things that don't just happen overnight or in one moment. It's, uh, it's not a magical pill that's going to change your whole life it's going to it's Mm -hmm. something that you have to use as a tool so like if you have if I give you a hammer and I say like put (laughs) put your bed frame together and um you have you know a missing piece you're never going to get that bed frame together um yeah you might want to send send it it back back. yeah exactly Um, but if uh, you are given all the tools and the appropriate tools and you put them to use in the way that they were meant to be used then uh, you'll be able to move through those moments it's still going to take the work of doing it but it'll make that moment a little bit easier
0: that's so good because i think one of the things that parents struggle with speaking from first-hand experience is that when your kids are being really challenging that's aversive to us so that's punishing for the parent that sucks for us so we want to do something right away to make it stop to make the suckiness of that situation for us stop or it's a suck less so what we usually do to make it stop is not something about ourselves it's not talking with ourselves through it it's like giving in or whatever whatever is going to make the kid stop when in reality we would be able to summon like the stamina to just push through and follow through through the big behavior if we can Instead, just make it make like the feeling of how we don't like it stop. If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It's like we have
1: to take care of ourselves so that we can take others, take care of others better. Right. And
0: Otherwise, I mean, yeah, you're in a, a vicious cycle where you know your kid has this really challenging behavior. It elicits like this fight or flight in you, and you're freaking out and you're panicking. So you make it stop, and then you signal to your kid that that's a good way to get their needs met, and then like cycle right. repeats.
1: Yeah and yeah. how many times right. have we seen that happen and you
0: even you, we do it too right. and
1: like you notice you're like oh damn like I gave into that or like I yeah. reinforced that behavior yeah, I just, yeah. exactly
0: yeah, yeah yeah I know and and it's funny because I I think it was it, I think it was um the psychologist that works with us that that said it to me but he said you know parents parents just want to make it stop they just they don't want they don't they don't realize that their kids are shaping their behavior and our kids are really <laughs> smart. <laughs> they know how to manipulate the contingencies. And I don't use manipulate in like a masterful evil way. Like they're just, they're being adaptive. They know that, you know, cause and effect is a thing. Um, so if we don't use the right strategies, we teach them by mistake, you know, that the wrong way to do yeah. it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um,
1: so I have this great mindfulness on the go uh, deck of cards and um, okay. I'll give you the info if you want to post it after, but
0: It's from,
1: it just literally says mindfulness on the go. It's 52 simple meditation practices you can do anywhere. So I'm going to just skim through and grab a random card. I love this. Okay. It's silly walking. So several times a day, especially when your state of mind is not optimal, do a silly walk of some kind. Uh, the easiest kind of silly walking are these, walking backwards, skipping, or hopping on one foot. Watch what happens to your state of mind or mood when you walk in a silly way. This practice was inspired by Monty Pythons um, and says that we can learn to change our unwholesome moods and thoughts by ourselves without any equipment or expenses like any skill it takes time and lots of practice
0: love that I really like this deck yeah it's so funny I know we do that a lot we do that a lot mm-hmm. at work like I've, I I know I've been part of interventions where you know a kid was like having really big feelings so you know when we start to notice them climbing their escalation continuum we'll do like a really silly walk I remember one situation in particular where I was with a kiddo and I was I was showing, I was basically, I mean, I can't, I don't really want to say training because like, I was I training? I don't know. I was showing the therapist working with them how to like get them to walk silly basically. And I think I was like crawling like a snake or like a slug or like I was doing whatever animal the kid Mm -hmm. said. And so I was modeling it and it was probably like goes down as like one of the most (laughs) epic and most hilarious things I've ever (laughs) done for training. And I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of people just looking, being like like the bosses (laughs) on the floor. Um, And I was like, I don't even know what I was doing, but it was, it was, I was like, I don't know, snake. (laughs) crawling and snail walking and like just doing all these ridiculous things and then eventually the kiddo joined me and it was it became like something that we did every day which just made it that much funnier um and every different therapist that worked with this kiddo (laughs) got to do it and it was like highlight of my day to watch them like walk like a chicken or like whatever they're doing but it was so good because it was motivating for the kid it was regulating because it was movement and then it got the kid like it elicited that like you know that like total glee like laughter like it was just it was so good for connection for the therapist and obviously like morale around the school was real high because it was like the highlight of many yeah people's day. <laughs> I love that and it definitely like oh so good it, it takes your
1: mind away from the thing that is upsetting so I think that's the point of a lot of these mindfulness strategies and doing something like out of the ordinary it gets you out of that cycle and doing something else um so like if I tell you don't think about cupcakes and then I keep saying right. cupcakes, <laughs> then like you're never yeah. going to not think about cupcakes um, and it's going to be harder and harder. But if like we start talking about something else, you'll eventually forget about cupcakes and it's no big deal. So I yeah. think same thing with kind of walking down the de-escalation continuum or uh, using mindfulness to that extent you can pivot in the direction that you wanna go. And this is actually something that you can measure in your saliva too. So I posted this on social media, but I went to a talk a little while ago from a professor from U of T, and she talked about a study that she was doing on positive emotions and how those enzymes are um, actually picked up in your saliva. So if you are constantly feeling stressed and anxious, that's going to come up in your saliva. If you are feeling a mm-hmm. sense of um, the emotion she talked about was awe, um, gratitude. Um, I don't remember, but those are the, the two that I always really think about is like, if you're feeling a sense of gratitude, you're actually going to slow down your heart rate and you are going to, um, oh, compassion was the other one that also slows down your heart rate. You are fully, attending to another person in that moment. Um, And then the sense of awe, like if you can even just look at your coffee and swirl it around and just notice the way that it moves. And maybe you've never done that before. And that could trigger a sense of awe or in the spring when the flowers start to bloom, you're stopping your brain from thinking about literally anything else. And you're just with that positive emotion and that just kind
0: of resets your body, for lack of a better word. (laughs) So good. And it's so, it's so sciency, even though it feels Mm -hmm. kind of like woo woo. It's not, it's like, it's really science. It's awesome. I did a course over at the beginning of the COVID closure um, on the science of happiness. And it was very similar to that. And it just talked about how like gratitude, gratitude is like the most powerful thing you can do for yourself for, you know, achieving Mm -hmm. happiness. It's so cool, but I think, so I think to wrap up, why don't you tell the world, tell the world what you like, practically speaking, when it comes to working with a neurodivergent population, um, autism, ADHD, ODD, anxiety, all of it, what is your best advice for parents who are trying to pursue mindfulness with their kids specifically? Hmm. Don't think too much about it.
1: (laughs) I think that would be my answer is, yeah, don't don't think yeah, too much definitely. about it um, because mindfulness isn't about having this crazy plan that's going to, like, fix everything. It's just a, about being. Um, so right. take those moments to just hang out with your kids. Try and, like, look at them in a different way if you're used to seeing them for maybe their challenging behaviors, Maybe just see them for, like, the amazing little human that they are. Um, this is something that I think I get to do so often at MM. Just, like, watch mm-hmm. how they explore, like, the funny things that they do and just kind of, like, explore with them, be in that moment with them, um, stim with them, and kind of see yeah. what it feels like to to just be so
0: in that feeling moment with um. Well, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's the cool thing is that a lot of, you know, kids on the spectrum, they do really well with tuning mm-hmm. into the present moment, like more than the neurotypical population. And a lot of the time we try to right. correct that, you know, we, we try to be like, we try to, you know, redirect them to the task or redirect them to what they're doing. When in reality, like they're just so hyper tuned in or hyper focused to the moment and what they're doing and what caught their eyes. So I actually love that because I think, as parents, we're constantly trying to like shape new behaviors, but these behaviors might already exist in your kiddo and you might just have to join them and then celebrate that. Like you're already there in some situations. Exactly. Celebrate the little wins. Yes. So, so good. Okay. Andrea, this has been so, so, so so fun. (laughs) Love (laughs) Love hearing you talk about what you love. Um, if there is anything else, how about you tell everybody where to find you on social yeah, media? So
1: um, on Instagram, Integrative ABA Yogi is where you can find me. Um, I've been posting mostly about um, brain injury and mindfulness and behavior analysis
0: there, but I might be pivoting a little bit. So stay tuned. <laughs> Love a good pivot. Okay, good. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you. So much fun. And uh, we will connect offline Absolutely a little so. later. Good. Okay. All right. Bye, Andrea. Thanks for listening to another episode of Science Drives Wellness Steers. It's been amazing hanging out, and I am so grateful for your willingness to let me in. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a rating and share, share, share. Until next time, stay well, stay grounded, and keep letting science drive your habits while you let the pursuit of wellness and balance steer you in the right direction.